I'm sure you're following what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. But as Christians, I hope you're more than just following the news. I hope you're praying that God's will would be done, that God's justice and peace would come to that area. But of course, not just to that area, but to the whole world. Now, if you're familiar with that part of the world in recent history, you know that this isn't the first uprising that we've seen there. Back in 2004, there was something called the Orange Revolution that took place in Ukraine. Philip Yancey tells the story of an unlikely hero in the Orange Revolution. Let me, let me set the scene for you. As the Soviet Union dissolves, the satellite states start to pursue democracy. Some quicker and some it takes more time, like in the Ukraine. But in 2004, there's an election and this reformer, a guy named Viktor Yushchenko, is running to be the president. And, and, and you've had to understand that in Russia, there's some, you know, dirty politics. Here, here's a picture of him before they poisoned him. Literally, the uh, opposing team, opposing party poisoned him. And after, they, they gave him the chemical active agent in Agent Orange, uh, which is obviously could have been deadly. It left him disfigured. He stayed in the race, though, and on the election day, the exit poll showed that he was a full 10 percentage points ahead of his opponent, which was supported by those in authority. But in Russia, they also now know how to steal an election. And so what happened is that night on the Ukrainian nightly news, the broadcasters were told to go out and say that Viktor Yushchenko had lost. And so, of course, that's what they did. They went on to national television and, and, and told a lie that, that, that the authorities' candidate had been the winner. But what they didn't take into account, what the authorities didn't take into account is the hero of the story, this woman right here. Her name is Natalia. And she was the deaf interpreter. She was interpreting the, 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 broad, the nightly newscast into uh, uh, sign language. And so you've you got to see what's happening here. Here on the big screen of the TV, you've got the, the, the state news saying the lie that Viktor Yushchenko had lost. And then over in the corner, in the, in the corner of the screen, there's Natalia, the deaf interpreter, saying that's all lies. He has actually won. Viktor Yushchenko is our president. The deaf community is the one that led the Orange Revolution because they, uh, they, they understood what was happening. And so they text all their friends that, and, and, and the news started to spread. Finally, the journalists started to get the courage to report the truth. And a million Ukrainians poured into the street. The Orange Revolution happened. Orange because that was the color of Yushchenko's campaign. And, and they poured in the streets of Kiev and all over the nation. And they forced the government to have another election in which Yushchenko clearly and easily won. But, but here's what I want you to get because I think it is a picture of our world, our culture. It's a picture that we need to grasp this morning. On that big screen was the state news telling lies and there is Natalia in the corner telling the truth. 
And in a sense, that's a picture of our culture, the big screen of our culture, pumping out lies that go against the narrative that God has given us, the narrative that is true, the narrative that is found in Jesus. There on the big screen is, is the, the lie that says that you have to pursue your life, what's best for you at the moment. Here is the good life. And over here in the corner is the truth of Jesus. Jesus sitting in the corner telling you that, that your life is only found when you lose it in him. Here on the big screen is the, the lie, the big screen of our cultural narrative that we're all watching and influenced by in ways that we don't even quite realize. It's pumping out the lie that, that, that you should live for yourself, indulge yourself, live for the moment, make a bucket list, pursue your dreams, check things off. And here down in the corner is Jesus issuing his call to take up your cross and follow him to deny yourself, to lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth. Here's the big screen and the lie it's pumping out that says you are free. You, you do whatever you want. And here's Jesus saying every human being is going to give an account before God. Here's the lie on the big screen saying that all of us should grab the power that we can, that the way to get things done in this world is through power and force. And, and here is Jesus in the corner of the screen saying, let it not be so among you. Because he tells Christians that the way we should use our power is on behalf of those in need. So, so here's the big screen that we are all influenced by pumping out these lies, but the Christians... They, they have a voice to listen to. And that voice is Jesus's voice. And that voice can easily be overwhelmed by all the things that we're confronted with. But Christians have an ear, their ear turned toward Jesus. What does he say? I want to obey him. I want to resist the pull of the cultural narrative. And I want to follow the truth that's found in Jesus. We're at this point in the book of Ephesians where Paul is unpacking what the Christian life looks like. He's explaining how Christians are to live. But what we can think of it as is Paul is sitting there in the inspired by God and sitting in the small part of our screen of all that we're watching. He's telling us he's the voice of Jesus. He's the one telling us how Jesus wants us to live in a confused and deceived world. And here's how he starts today. He says in verse four, uh, chapter four, verse 17. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. So what's weird about this is that this church is predominantly made up of Gentiles. Remember, a Gentile is just someone who's not a, a Jew. And so it's kind of weird because he's saying, hey, you Gentiles, at least most of the people in this church were Gentiles, you Gentiles should not live like the Gentiles do. I mean, how did you even do that? What does that even mean? What, what Paul is saying is that you Gentile Christians, those who, who, who call Jesus Lord, those who look to Jesus as their salvation and their hope, you Gentile Christians should not live as the Gentile culture does. 
See, Christians are going to live in the same neighborhood as those who don't follow Jesus. Christians are going to work in the same office as those who don't follow Jesus. Christians are going to go to the same schools and, and be on the same sports teams and, and participate in the same nonprofits in the community as those who don't follow Jesus. And yet Paul says that our lives must look different. He says, he says, I insist on it in the Lord that you do not live like the culture around you. He says, I insist on it in the Lord that you do not listen and are not shaped by that cultural narrative, by those cultural lies on the big screen. Listen, listen instead to Jesus. This is how Paul says it. How Paul says it in, in, in Romans uh, chapter 12, uh, verse two. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Now, now the pattern of this world is, is that message on the big screen. And all of us are, are tempted to conform to that message. See, whether, whether we realize it or not, that, that message has a, has, a, has a way of pulling us in, of sucking us in. It's hard to live out your faith in a world that doesn't share your faith. It's hard to live out your faith in a world that is antithetical sometimes to your faith. We, we, we by nature conform. And that's why Paul warns us, don't conform to this world. We conform to the world around us. That's why people say that, that, that um, if you want to know what you're going to be like, look at the five people you're best friends with. The five people that you spend the most time with. Because those are the people, the way they talk, the way they think, the way they process life, the way they spend money, the way they control their calendar, the way they, they treat their friends, that their values are going to shape you. So, so what Paul says is, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world being the, the cultural narrative, the lies that are told on the big screen. Conform is to feel the pressure from the outside in that shapes you into something. It's like jello. Jello doesn't take a shape on its own. It takes the shape of whatever kind of, of, of pan it's put in. And, and, and so when we are shaped by the pattern of this world, our life begins to look more and more like it, but instead be transformed. So let's go down deeper in this word transform. It, it, it is the Greek word metamorpho, from which we get the word metamorphosis. So when you hear the word metamorphosis, what instantly comes to your mind? What do we know that goes through a metamorphosis? Shout out to all the life science teachers out there, that, right? Because you know what you're thinking of. It's the same thing I'm thinking of. I think it's middle school, but who knows? Uh, it, it is, is the caterpillar through a process of metamorphosis becomes a butterfly, right? It starts out as one thing. It, it goes through into this time in a cocoon and it comes out something totally different. This is what Paul's saying is that we aren't shaped by the outside in. We're not conformed, but instead we're transformed from the inside out. Verse 18, they, now this is just the non-Christians, the culture, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they're full of greed. <laughs> it's like a little icing on top right there, right? I mean, it's a pretty bleak picture. Now, he's not talking here about just one person. 
or even a group of people. What he's talking about is this whole culture that has drifted away from Jesus, that has drifted away from God's design. It's true of every culture. The, the more we drift away from God, the more that we, we become darkened in our understanding, the more lies that are believed, the more confusion that reigns. And I, I highlighted that word sensuality because you can tell there's kind of some overtones there, undertones there of kind of sexuality, sensuality, continual lust for more, impurity. There's a pastor named Jeff Mannion that turned me on to, to an author, Thomas Cahill, who wrote a book about Greco-Roman culture to kind of give you an idea of what was going on in Ephesus and the surrounding cities that Paul was planting this church in give you an idea of, of this culture that Paul describes there in, in pretty dark terms. So a good way to, to get your mind around it is the, is the word symposium. When you hear a symposium, what, what do you think of? If you're like me, you think of kind of some academic seminar, right? Where a bunch of smart people are gonna get together and have an exchange of ideas. Like, I'm going to the symposium today. And you're like, well, la-di-da, good for you. It's what private school kids do, right? But, but... But a symposium, which comes just right out of the Greek language, in the Greco-Roman world, was nothing so high-minded. It just meant to drink together, to drink together. And it was something that men would do in private homes, in a private room. It was kind of like the original man cave. And, 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 and here's a picture of the way it played out in that culture. Is you had these couches, and men would recline on them, and they'd have these floral crowns, and they'd have all this food and drink. And, and, and it's kind of it's a sad part, is that they'd have these young boys and girls participating, serving them food and all. But the more they drank, and the, and the later it got, the more immorality reigned in the symposium. And so look, I, I know you know this, but Christian sexual ethics are out of step with today's culture. This Christian sexual ethic of, of, of sex between a husband and a wife and a lifetime committed relationship, that is out of step with our modern culture. But, but newsflash, it's been out of step with every culture. It's out of step with the culture of the first century but it kind of gives you an idea of, of what kind of lifestyle these people had been absorbed in, what kind of they had participated in, and what Paul was calling them out of when he says in verse 17, when he says, I insist on the Lord, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now remember, he's writing this letter to a church, a church in the first century where it was hard to go to church in the first century, much harder than it is today, Right? So, so these are people who, 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 who have a new faith, but they got old habits, right? They got a new faith, but, but they're still pulled. They're still pulled to that cultural narrative, the lies they're told on the big screen. And, and they're trying to, to, to get in the habit of listening to the voice of Jesus. They're still being conformed, conformed to the, the cultural narrative instead of being transformed by the power of Jesus. And so what Paul is doing is he's writing to this church and he's encouraging them. He's telling them, I insist on the Lord. You need to come out of this and live differently. But now he gets to how. And here's what I want you to get. Here's what I want you to, to get because I think it's really, really important. What, what, what Paul says is that you don't live the way you used to live because you're not the people you used to be. If we could take all the Ephesians and, and break it down and put it down in, in, in just a little nugget, I think this would be the nugget I would, I would choose. I would say you're, you, you don't live the way you used to live because you're not the person you used to be. 
That when a person becomes a Christian, that they, they, they are united with Jesus. They are joined with Jesus in a way that makes them new. And the way Paul describes that newness of life is through a little phrase, in Christ. In Christ. And he uses that phrase or something very similar over 200 times in his letters. It's that important. He keeps repeating it that you, when you put your faith in Jesus, you become in Christ. And all that is true of Jesus now becomes true of you. A few years ago, I had the chance to go with some guys to a, a, a Cardinal baseball game with Mike Kelly. Name might sound familiar, Voice of the Tigers, a professional broadcaster, kind of knows everybody, uh, uh, not only in town, but across the state. And, and, and so I'm used to going to the baseball game with just like, you know, like people like you and me. And you know how it goes. You go, you, you, you search and hunt for a parking spot, and you think you're probably going to get blocked in, or, or you're paying an exorbitant cost. And, and then you stand in line, and, and you finally get a ticket, and, and, and you miss half the game because you're in the bathroom line, right? And it's just kind of, it's kind of a hassle to, to, to go to a game. That's not how Mike Kelly goes to a game, right? So, so when you go with him, you, you ride in his car and you pull into this little parking spot you didn't even know existed. It has like 20 spots in it. And it's right next to, I guess it's the front door. It's a door I had never seen. And you walk through that door. They open it for you and they say, hello, Mr. Kelly. And now if I had gone to that door by myself without Mike, you know what? They would have said, mm, sorry, it's locked, right? But, but because I was with Mike, they also introduced themselves to me and they let me go through that door. And, and, and we got to go to a suite that had food and drink and a private bathroom. And it, it was all, but if I had gone up to that suite Without Mike, they wouldn't have let me in. But because I'm with Mike, all the privileges that come with being with him are, are now mine. Not because I deserved it, but because I'm with him. I got to live like him for a day. So now you have been put in Jesus. And all that's true of Jesus is now true of you. All the blessings of Jesus are now yours in Christ. God loves you in Jesus just as much as he does his son. You are a new person, adopted child, a son or daughter. You're one who's been redeemed out of sin and now you're in Jesus. You've got the power to say no to sin. Not because of who you are, but because you've been joined with him. You get to live in the power of Jesus in relationship with him. Let me show you, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter five, 2 Corinthians five. Again, Paul's writing, he's the author. Therefore, if anyone is, and then there's that phrase, in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. See, when you become a Christian, you are in Jesus and the old person is now gone, is now dead, and the new person is here. That's why you say you, you don't live the way you used to because you're not the person you used to be. So, so I, I want you to catch this here. So look at these two phrases. They, they, they seem very similar, but they are radically different. Radically different. Do I behave so that I'll belong? In other words, I, I change my behavior so I will belong to God. That's not Christianity. Or do I belong to God in Jesus? I belong to him. I'm his child. Therefore, I behave. That's Christianity. This isn't Christianity, but you flip it around and, and the power of that flip is, is expressed in that now this is the Christian message. I belong to Jesus. I'm a new person. So now for I behave differently. 
Paul keeps going, verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life. You learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, right? That's not who I am, so I put it off, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, because this is now who I am. I want to live out of this new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So, so now let's see if we can take this and, and pull out a few principles that we can use to apply to our lives so that we can grow spiritually, so that we can, how will we live if we listen to the voice of Jesus in that small screen? So the first thing we realize is that our spiritual growth is a process. It's a process. It's not instantaneous. It's not as quick as we'd like it to be. You know, the, a, a powerful sales technique is to do the old before and after, right? Like, here's this shirt that your kid wore, and it's muddy, and it's got grease stains on it, but you use my detergent, and it's bright and white. Or, or how about this one? The Biggest Loser, that TV show? Here's what you were before you started my new diet and workout regimen, and now, a year later, here's what you look like. Or, or extreme makeover, right? Like, here's the shack you used to live in, but now here's the house fit for the lifestyles of the rich and famous that we have now made that shack into. And it's a powerful sales gimmick. It gets our attention. We, we want that powerful before and after effect. And the starker the change, the, the more we're drawn, right? Like, if, if, life, if extreme makeover took a mansion and remodeled the bathroom... Well, that wouldn't make a very good show, right? If you took a dude who's 300 pounds and he lost, now he's down to like 287. Well, I mean, that's great, but that's not gonna make a compelling show. So what we do is we come with this before mind, before and after, quick, dramatic, instant change, and we come to our Christian life and we think maybe it's gonna be the same way. Like, I didn't follow Jesus, so I was going down this wrong road, and now I do and my life's great. And then we get confused when that's not what happens. Because it's not your experience, is it? The before and after of following Jesus is not as quick, it's not as dramatic as we would like it to, to, to be. Sometimes our spiritual growth looks very unimpressive. And, and, and what God is saying here in Ephesians 4 to you is that spiritual growth is a process. So that means that you must extend grace to yourself and to others. Because it's a process. Nothing's as quick as we'd like it to be. Some things change quickly in our life, probably, right? There are some things that, 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 that had a pretty dramatic change. And there are a lot of other things that took a long, long time, and it's still in process. And we're all in process. So extend grace to yourself and to others. But over time, over time, you should see real lasting change. But it takes longer, probably, than you hoped it would. Spiritual growth is a process, Paul says. Spiritual growth is also this. It's not passive. We're not passive in our spiritual growth. Maybe you've seen that bumper sticker that says, uh, if God is your co-pilot, switch seats, right? Yeah, I, I think all Christian bumper stickers are dumb, but uh, I don't know exactly what that means. But I think what it means is that, that you should let God fly the plane of your life, right? That your life is a vehicle and God should be in charge. So you get out of the driver's seat, take your hands off the wheel, let God do it, yeah? I, I think that's what it means. And, and let go, let God sounds super spiritual, but I don't think it's biblical. I don't think it matches what Paul's teaching us here in, in Ephesians chapter four, because what's he tell us? 
Put off, put on. Right? Other places he'll say things like, make every effort, talking about our spiritual growth. And, and here are the things we're supposed to put off and, 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 and put on. These are commands in the end of Ephesians 4. He just like starts saying, okay, so speak the truth and don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth and stop stealing, start working, be generous, be kind, compassionate. He, he just starts railing off these commands and this is not passive, right? Like, like you're not supposed to just let go. You're supposed to do these things. Now, God has empowered you. Remember, you don't live the way you used to because you're not the person you used to be. God has made you new. He's made you into a new person. So now you put off the old and you put on these new things. But you're going to have to do it, right? Like you, you got to pick up the Bible and read it. You got to get on your knees and pray. You have to shut your mouth so you don't gossip or open your mouth to encourage others. You've got to... to pick up the phone and call the person you need to reconcile with, right? You need to get out and write the check to be generous. You have to do it. God has made you new. Now you have to live that out. You're not God's puppet. He's made you new to go do this, live this life. It's a process. So let's, let's review, let's review. It, spiritual growth is a process. It's not passive and it's, it's not a performance. Now, behavior probably would have been a better word to put here, but I wasn't going to let that mess up my peas, right? So it's, it's a process, it's not passive, and it's not a performance. And what I just mean by that is that sometimes we can get to a point where we reduce spiritual growth down to following rules, outward behavior. We can reduce spiritual growth down to, to trying to follow like a moral standard. And we can think of our faith as like this moral code we live by sometimes more faithfully than others. But that's not how Paul thinks about it. It's not how the Bible thinks about it. It's not how Jesus thinks about it. They, it goes after your heart. He wants your heart. See, look at Jesus, what he says in, in, in Matthew 15, 9. He says, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Outwardly, they're conforming, but their hearts aren't from, are far from me. They're not transforming, they're conforming, they're following rules, but, 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 but their hearts aren't loving me. So when Jesus says this, he's not commending them, he's condemning them because Jesus wants your heart because he knows that when he gets your heart, he gets your behavior. When he gets your heart, he gets your calendar. When he gets your heart, he gets your checkbook. When he gets your heart, he gets his tongue, your, your tongue. When he gets your heart, he gets your body. When he gets your heart, he gets everything. See, it's not about following rules. Spiritual growth is about a relationship with Jesus. That's why he wants our heart. When Jesus says, come follow me, this is the way we follow him, by obeying his commands. It all starts right here. It starts here at the cross because it's the cross where Jesus laid down his life so that we might have life in him. It's at the cross where he died for us so that when we put our faith in him, we are made new. That's why Jesus keeps bringing us back to communion. He keeps bringing us back to where it all began, where we began a relationship with him, where he made us new. It all comes back to this is why we can extend ourselves grace. This is why we can extend grace to others because in Jesus at the cross, he extended grace to us. Jesus broke bread with his disciples and said, this is my body. Take and eat. If you'll take a piece of the bread. Say this after me. The bread that we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. We are one body and we share one bread. Take and eat.
took some wine and Jesus poured it into a cup and he said, this is my blood. It's poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Your sins. It's poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Everybody else's sins, but your sins too. The cup that we share together unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ. We have died together. We will rise together. We will live together. Take and drink. The God who has rescued us in Jesus, we owe him our worship, our honor, our life. So let's stand and sing.